The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. This morning we are presented with a very short gospel lesson. So perhaps you are hoping the sermon will be equally short. (laughs) It's always a danger of that. (laughs) I will disappoint, I'm afraid. (laughs) Mark doesn't waste words. He gets into it right away. Very little narrative. And it's hard to believe that we are in uh, only 13 verses into his gospel. And already he's uh, introduced us to John the Baptist. He's told about the baptism of Jesus, about the heavens being ripped apart and God speaking over Jesus that this is my beloved son. And only one verse is dedicated to the uh, temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. In our passage uh, this time, I think, comes uh, with some warning for us because uh, we hear these words about John being uh, delivered over. Uh, When John was was taken uh, to be taken to prison and eventually die, the verb used is is, uh, delivering over. Well, that verb occurs again at the end of the gospel when Jesus is taken into custody. So we have already a shadow over this gospel that it's, uh, it's going to be a difficult gospel. Not all of it will be joyful, but all of it will be good. It might be helpful for us to remember some things from uh, about Galilee and also about the, the fishermen. Uh, Galilee was in the north. And it was a more rural area. It was cut off, really, from uh, Jerusalem and from the area down below in, in Israel. Uh, Samaria's in between. And the Samaritans, of course, were people that they didn't want to have any connection with, any contact with. So they would avoid going through there. So they were fairly cut off up in the north in Galilee. It was also a place where there was a trade route. And because of that, even though it was rural, it was fairly cosmopolitan. And there were also a number of uh, Roman and Greek cities. Jesus, in fact, uh, lived about four miles from one of the largest uh, Roman cities. So there was a great deal of interaction. And one can imagine that Jesus uh, probably was exposed to ideas that came as a result of that trade route that was coming through that area. He must have his his uh, thinking must have been expanded greatly. And the people who lived in Galilee, therefore, were really more liberal religiously than were those who lived in Jerusalem. 
the fishermen are interesting as well. Uh, the hymn we just sang presents them as these simple fisher folk, but they probably were anything but simple. Their lives were probably fairly difficult. It's important to remember that under Roman rule, not just anybody could fish in the Sea of Galilee. You had to have a license from Caesar because Caesar owned it and is sometimes referred to as Lake Tiberius. So there was a cost, had to have a license and probably had to uh, pay a significant amount in tax if you fished that lake. So one can imagine that the life for these simple fisher folk was anything but simple. And they perhaps had a sense of some of the oppression that was a part of, of Rome being uh, dominant in their region. It might also be possible that Jesus actually knew these people before he invited them to follow him. If you just read the passage and you see here comes Jesus and they're out, uh, you know, working their nets and they're fishing and he says, come along, follow me. And they say, OK, let's follow you. That doesn't really work for us, I don't think. It's probably much more likely that they knew about Jesus, that they had studied with him, that they had heard him preach, that they may have been supportive of his ministry. So when Jesus came and said to them that it's God's time, something very important is happening, and he asked them to follow him, they knew exactly what he was talking about because they had heard him talk about God and about proclaiming the kingdom. So I think they were prepared for that day when it was not just God's day. It was the rabbi's day and the disciples day as well, for the kingdom of God had come near. Some have said that the primary interest of this gospel is the authority of Jesus and the response of the disciples. Jesus says, follow me. And in the gospel, we see that immediately they responded. And in these words, the focus of the Gospel of Mark is made clear. The presence and word of Jesus. And on the other hand, the response of the disciples. The literal meaning of uh, the word that's used for follow me is perhaps better translated, come after me. A better way even to uh, translate it might be to use the southern expression, y'all come follow me. Y'all come after me. Because it's plural. It's not just about one person. Y'all come. Come after me. The disciples will follow. But in the remainder of Mark, they don't always act like good disciples. They don't always do well. Often they fall short of their first response to follow. One could even say that they don't offer very good examples of what it is to be a disciple or to enter into discipleship. But I think there's a fundamental quality of faithful discipleship that we must hold on to. And that is, as best we can, we simply follow him. Well, what might all of this mean for us? Uh, could they possibly be an example for us? Well, it's clear that when the disciples were called by Jesus, they left everything. They abandoned their way of life. They abandoned the way that they, they made an earn, earned a living. They even left family. Uh, Zebedee is left as his sons go off, and he has uh, nothing but the hired help to help him with the fishing. Their lives have been completely changed. 
I think often I at least hear those words and feel a little guilty about it because I haven't left everything in order to follow Jesus. So what does it mean to me? How far should I go in responding to that call? And I think what might be more helpful for us is to think about uh, what is important in our lives. Where do we place emphasis? And if we want to find out, is all we need to do is look where we spend our money and look where we spend our time. Look where we devote so much of our energy. Those are the things that are truly valuable to us. And of course, the question is, how much a part of that reflects discipleship following Jesus? Many years ago, when I was a young captain in the Air Force, I attended a, a four-week leadership school. Uh, it was called Squadron Officer School. It was at the Air War College in Montgomery. I never wanted to go to Montgomery, but I did. <laughs> we lived in a trailer house in a trailer park called the Crow's Nest. And the thing that was so amazing about the Crow's Nest was the guy that owned it, because he had a five-legged calf, and he had a picture of it that he showed everybody. And I soon uh, learned that that was uh, the least of the bizarre things about the crow's nest. <laughs> and we often had lectures and briefings in a large auditorium that we called the blue bedroom. It was painted blue. The seats were comfortable. We were all sleep deprived. So we spent a fair amount of time catching up in the blue bedroom. But I remember very clearly one of the lectures. It was a lecture on values. And the officer who was presenting it asked the question, what are your priorities? How do you order them? And then he answered it for us. He said, remember, it is country, family, and God in that order. And then he even asked us to raise hands if we agreed with that. And I was just mortified. I realized in that moment that I wasn't like a lot of the people in that room. Those were not the order of my priorities. I don't think I've ever really at that time had stopped to think about how I might order those particular aspects of my life. And even now, I wouldn't say that I would put them in any particular order. I think I, I, I engage in aspects at various times with different emphasis. But I was mortified to see that that is what was expected of us, that we should put country first, then family, and then maybe God. Well, I think that the question that the disciples may have heard Jesus asking them, will you follow me, is a question very similar to the question in the blue bedroom. What are your priorities? Jesus asked. Are you willing to come after me? You've heard all the things that I've said about God and about the coming of the kingdom. Are you willing to be part of that, to walk with me, to proclaim the kingdom? The call to follow Jesus strikes deeply into our everyday lives. It challenges the way we make our living. It challenges how we spend our leisure time. It challenges us to use our money in a way that reflects our faith. It challenges us to the responsibility of helping to bring about the kingdom in this messy world in which we live. This story is about the call of four fishermen, but it's not just about them. It's about you and me 
and God's call on our lives. And finally, I would say that we need to keep in mind that throughout Mark's gospel and other places as well, we will see the failures of the disciples. And we know that we also will fail. But we must always remember that what saves us is Jesus' obedience, Jesus' faithfulness, not just ours alone. And one thing we can count on, he will never fail. Amen.